God, we just thank you this morning for the time you've given us to spend singing your praises, allowing us to turn our eyes towards you, receiving your grace and your mercy and your love. God, again, thank you for the, the worship team who, who serve us and care for us and direct us towards you. So, Lord, this morning, as we continue to look into your word and as we continue to dig in, we pray that you would, you would allow our hearts to remain open and soft towards you. God, I pray that we would hear with open ears and open hearts, God, to understand the power of your word and the truth that is there within. God, thank you again this morning. Lord, help me. Me to speak, give me strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we can get the lights behind me, that'd be great. Good morning, everybody. We are just we just finished up a week of of prayer and fasting for the church. And we just had a, a dynamic time here. Every night we met together and we just prayed and we waited on God and one of the nights that we were praying, we prayed for you. So we worked through every name in the church, and we prayed individually for you. And so if you're sitting here today and um, you call this your home, we prayed for you this week. We not only prayed for you, but we also prayed, if you remember, we did the Mercy Hill 5 cards with five people we filled out that we were praying for to talk to them about Christ. We also took those cards out and we prayed for you and for the people that you're praying for. So you will be expecting, and I expect that this week, you will have opportunities to tell others and the people that you've been praying for about Christ. And I believe that. As we as a church prayed for that, specifically for that, there's no doubt in my mind, God is going to begin to open doors around you to tell others about him. And that's why we're here. We sang that song, um, let the Lord open the eyes of the blind and heal the lame. And um, we want people to know the eternal love of God. Guys, that is why we're here. We're here to tell others about Jesus Christ. We're here and the way people are going to know and the way eyes will be open, the blind, blind see, the way the lame will be able to walk is because God has given us himself and he wants us to go out and share with others that eternal truth. So that is why we're here. A couple things this week I just caught my attention. Um, you know, this week as we got together and prayed and fasted, we, we made that a priority for the church. And one couple in particular, uh, they were here either together or um, individually almost every, every single night. Um, Bill and Terry Freitag, they've got, living in their home, they've got seven or eight or nine kids and they've got homeschooling, and they've got homework, and they've got practices, and they've got sports, and they've got all these things that, that their lives are full of. There's no absence of, of, of things to do in their lives. And yet they made it a priority to be here this week and to pray for you, to pray for the people who you are praying for. Um, this week we had a, uh, as we were praying a window in the nursery fell out of the, the 
the the casing and fell onto the ground. Glass shattered everywhere. It was the night that it was raining real bad. And uh, I said, hey, you know, we need someone to go down there real quick to, to patch this thing up because it's raining. We don't want rain to get into the nursery. And Bill jumps right to his feet, goes right to it, sweeps up the glass in the rain, cleans it all up, goes back, go, goes home, gets plywood, brings it back, cuts it to right size, put the plywood in, helps staple up. Him and Tim Paul helped staple up all the, um, the plastic so it stays dry. And what a blessing it was. What a response of faith to say, look, there's a need. We see something that's important for all of us. I'm going to go do that right now. And so that's such a blessing. Guys, thank you. Thank you for being an example to us. What it means to pursue the Lord. Um, Tim and Liz Griffin as well celebrated 21 years together this week. They were, uh, you know, the night of their anniversary, guess where they're at? They're here for a little bit. They go out to eat afterwards on a nice date. But what a priority for their lives. What a testimony of their kids. It's like, kids, this is what is most important. Jamie Peterson as well, who uh, she was here in the first service, but Jamie Peterson has, has more friends than all of us put together on Facebook and she's got no loss of social things to do, but she, she was here almost every single night this week, praying for you, praying for us, praying for the lost, seeking the Lord. What a testimony that is. I even felt my own heart as we began this week of prayer and fasting, just a a real, just a heaviness in my heart and a real lack of joy in the Lord. And so as we are praying throughout the week, I just feel the Lord in his kindness to me, restore a real joy back in him again. And just a real satisfaction in Jesus. And he did that just over the course of the week. Just as he just stirred things in me, I think how kind of God to meet us right where we're at. Just meet us, just show up, just, just be here with us. Kindness of the Lord just never, never ceases to amaze me. All right, let's turn to Ephesians 3. This is week number 8 of our Ephesians series. I don't know if someone would mind just grab me a glass of water. That would really be nice. Right behind me? Oh, wow, that's quite amazing. I've never ceased to be amazed by Tim's kindness to me, or whoever that was. (laughs) It was Liz. Okay, forget Tim. It was Liz. So we're in the third chapter of Ephesians. We, we are in verses 14 to 21, and this is a prayer of Paul. And it's as if Paul, in this section of, of Scripture, where he leaves off in verse 1 of chapter 3, he starts verse 1 by saying, For this reason I, Paul, and then he goes into this long tangent, talking about some things that have really are sticking out to him at that moment. And he is looking at the, the Jew and the Gentiles and the church, the, those who are religious and have this rich heritage of, of, of faith with the people who've just showed up on the scene and have been transformed by the power of the gospel and how God brings them all together as one body, as one family, as one people. And then he kind of goes back now and says, for this reason, so he kind of picks up where he left off in, in verse 1. But let's read together verses 14 and 16. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here he starts off by saying, God is, we're praying and asking God to do three things. The first thing is this, that God would send. The second one is that God would strengthen. And the third one is that God would stay, that he would stay. And here he says in verse 14, I bow my knees. Now the normal position of prayer, the kind of um, socially acceptable way to pray for a Jewish person at that time was standing up with arms outstretched and palms up. That was the normal way of prayer for a Jewish person at that time. And so when Paul here says, I bow my knees, he's not just saying just, oh, that's a nice way to say he was praying. No, what he's communicating to us is, man, there are some things that just bring me to my knees when I begin to pray and think about what God has done. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer where you were just, you were so at just, either in awe of God or just struck by what he's done. And you just drop to your knees and you cry out to God. And in this passage, we see Paul communicating that to us. He says, guys, what I'm about to pray brings me to my knees. I can't remain standing. I am brought to the floor. I hit the floor when I begin to pray these things because it is amazing what God has done. So here he is in fervent prayer on the floor, calling out to God, communicating to us the things that are on his heart. And he says this, it says, from whom whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, talking about God. Now in Ephesus at the time, you remember there's, there's a huge industry of idolatry. So they make idols. There's, there's an idol um, union that, that manufactures idols at the time. They had many temples in Ephesus, great temples. People would come from all over the known world to participate in what was happening in Ephesus. And he's saying, guys, look, we're talking about God here. This is not your everyday average idol that you can go buy in the street corner. This is almighty God. This isn't just go down to the temple God. This isn't your run-of-the-mill God. This is God from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. This is the God who created the universe. The God of all things. The God from whom we all originate. says, this is God the creator and God in the position of authority and power over our lives. He says, that's who we're communicating with. That's who we're talking to. He says, we're asking in accordance with the riches of his glory in verse 16 the riches of his glory. Guys, when we think about what Paul has already said in the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, we see God taking hold of our lives from before the beginning of time. We see Almighty God adopting us into his family, calling us his own, lavishing on us grace and mercy and love. We see him at work in us long before we ever knew what was happening or going on. He says, this is the God who is rich in mercy. God has had no loss to lavish us, his love upon us. He says, it's in accordance with the riches of his glory. So that's where he's saying, this is the God we're talking about here. This isn't just any old God. This is God Almighty. So he asks three things. First thing he asks is that God would send. 
verse 16, the last half of verse 16 says, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What Paul is about to describe in the love of Christ, which he's going to go on in the next few verses, is something that he says, guys, look, this is too heavy for you to understand on your own. You can't possibly understand what I'm about to tell you apart from me sending the Holy Spirit to you. Guys, this is, this is weighty. This is heavy. Because of that, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So I'm sending the Holy Spirit for a purpose. It says, this is the purpose of me, of God sending the Holy Spirit. It says to strengthen you. To strengthen you. God sends his Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And this week, as we are praying and fasting, asking for more of God, that was one of the words that just kept coming back to us this week. God, we need more of you. God, we need more of your Holy Spirit. This is God, we need more of your strength to understand the riches and the depths of Christ's love. Because apart from you giving us and sending the Holy Spirit and strengthening us, we have no hope to understand this. And neither does anybody else. We need Almighty God to do a work in us and in those people around us and in our lives so that we can understand and have strength to see the love of Christ. This is what Sinclair Ferguson writes. He says, but why would we need to be strengthened? What's the point of us being strengthened? Why would Paul ask that we would be strengthened? Because our hearts are too weak and narrow to contain the treasure that God places in them. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. His presence as the Lord of all is too weighty, too intensely holy, and too grand for any of us to bear. If we are amazed that the manger in the stable could have held the Lord of all creation, it should be even more amazing to us that Christ himself comes to dwell in us. If we're amazed that Jesus Christ came and was born in a manger in the middle of nowhere, how much more amazed that we should be that God Almighty would come and dwell in us. And this is what he says. He says, yet he does. Yet he does. I think when I think about this, it's not a perfect analogy, but if you, how many of you have ever lifted weights before for any period of time? Not just once, but lift weights. And one of the best workouts you're ever going to get is when you're lifting with a spotter. Because a spotter helps you to lift the weight. So and not only does a spotter protect you from dropping the weights on your head and really hurting yourself, but there comes a point when you're lifting weights and the weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And so you get weaker and weaker as the muscle fibers in your arms or in your body begin to tear. That weight that you were lifting, no problem from, you know, in the first couple of times now becomes almost impossible to lift. And at that point, the spotter then helps you finish and continue lifting the weight when it's beyond your own strength to lift yourself. So a spotter continues to help you. And if you want to get the best workout you've ever got, you want that spotter to keep going. So as every lift that you take that you're unable to do, you are giving that spotter more and more responsibility to lift more of the weight, and you're doing less because you can't do anymore. It's beyond your own strength at that point to lift the weight that you were lifting at one time. So a spotter be- continues to lift the weights. And as you continue to do that, 
man, it is the best workout. But that spotter is taking on most of the responsibility for lifting the weight at that time. The same way with the Holy Spirit. He says, look, guys, it's like taking a mountain that we understand of God's love and dropping it on us. And apart from the Holy Spirit being there to, to catch that weight and to hold that weight and to steady that weight, guys, we could never have lifted that ourselves. We could never have understood that on our own. The Holy Spirit is there helping us, protecting us, keeping us, guarding us, strengthening us, lifting that weight, taking on most of the responsibility. Because God's about to lay on us something so heavy in the coming of Jesus Christ that we need the Holy Spirit to do the work, all the work of the lifting. We just receive. He says, this work is done in your inner being. It's not done on the outside. It doesn't make us look better on the outside. He wants to do a work on our hearts, on the inner being. And he says this, so he sends the Spirit to strengthen us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Almighty God comes and stays with us in our hearts. And in this indwelling of, the, of Almighty God within us, we now find our identity rooted and grounded in Christ. And that's what happens when we hear the message of Jesus Christ about His death and resurrection on the cross. That when we put our faith in Christ, not just one time believing that He died for you, that was, that was just good news, which it is good news, and that is a one-time thing that happens within us when we put our hope and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, something amazing happens. We get the righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness of sins. But it's also a reminder to us every single day that we somehow can't do enough good to earn favor with God. That every day we go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust in your perfect obedience that you lived and you died on the cross for my sins. That you know what? No matter what I do today, I am in your hands and identified in you. And now your righteousness is accredited to me. It's an amazing thing. Brian Chappelle writes this in his commentary on Ephesians. says, The power of the new spiritual life is ours, not by our will or strength, but solely through trusting in what he provides. And trusting that his righteousness will redeem from our sin and substitute for our destitution, we find his strength is ours. So, let's get to where the meat of this, of this passage is, I believe. What happens when God sends his spirit to strengthen, to dwell in us, to move us in Christ Jesus? Let's read Ephesians 17, 3, 17 through 19. He says this, Be strengthened through with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, when we rightly understand Almighty God's love for us, His love towards us, it stirs the affections and love of our own heart. 
It is the fuel with which we love God. When we begin to think about what God has done, how he's poured out his love upon us. You know what? What we love most is the thing that we will most pursue. Adam Kern says this all the time. We worship what we love. We worship all the time. Our, our love is divided in so many places. But whatever we love the most, that is what we will most pursue. So when you think about just simply, guys, why do we go home from church on Sunday afternoon and watch football and not do yard work? Because we love football. We love football more than we love yard work. I mean, that's simple. It's just basic understanding of how we as humans work. Why do we do what we do? Because we love certain things. And that love drives us and draws us and directs us. This past week, or I should say a couple weeks ago, Michelle's cousin had a, a bachelor party in Virginia. But it wasn't just any bachelor party. This was the bachelor party of all bachelor parties. So this bachelor party, I don't know how he, he hooked this up, but he is some, I don't know how he did this, but he's got connections to go and get trained with this company called Blackwater, okay? So Blackwater's out of Virginia. They're like this special, they hire all these special forces guys out of the military who goes, goes and works for them. And so here's the bachelor party. You're going to go down to Virginia, spend the night, and you're going to go to Blackwater to get trained to take offensive driving courses, combat courses, um, handgun, you know, course. I mean, all these things that are like, man, this would be awesome. I want to learn how to, you know, shoot guns at people and like drive cars, like, you know, offensively. I mean, all these things like, man, that would just be a dream, like bachelor party for me. Right. But it's really expensive. You got to, you know, all the expense of doing that. And so, you know, in, in evaluating, where we were at financially and just desire to take a family vacation one of these years. Um, we thought, well, would it be best for me to go down to Blackwater and shoot guns and stuff? Or would it be better to take a family vacation? Now, here's the thing. If I really, I mean, if my love for myself was greater than my love for my family, I mean, if I really thought, you know what, this is what's best for our family, that I go do these things. I need to learn how to drive offensively towards people or objects or what. I don't know how that works. It just sounds like it intrigues me. But the thing is, I, had to, I, had to, I couldn't go because, because my affections towards my family had to outweigh what I thought was best for me as an individual. So that love directed me in that. So it's a simply a matter of our love directing us. So if you think about it, so it's just, you know, just thinking about, okay, why do I watch football and not do yard work? Why well, I love football more? Why do I take a family vacation versus me going to do something? Well, I, I love my family. But why do we sin? But why do we sin then? It's because we love sin more than we love God. That's why we sin. Because we love sin more than we love God. When we sin, love for sin competes and supersedes a love for Christ. That's the fact every single time. Guys, and this is devastating news. This is devastating news because when I evaluate my life, I sin all the time. When I come home from work and I'm tired 
I don't feel like playing with the kids. I want my quiet time. I want to read the newspaper. I want to do my own thing. And the kids come in and they want to play and I'm tired. And I'm leave me alone. Just give me a break. I mean, all these things come crowding in all the time. And love for sin or even good things take the place of God in my life. Despite all the songs that I sing on a Sunday morning, and the promises I make, I still, by Sunday afternoon, tired and weary, love sin. And we look at this, we look at this passage in Scripture. We think, God, I don't love you enough. That's why I sin, because I love sin more. I don't love you enough. The Apostle Paul would say to us, you're right. You don't love God enough. But he still loves us more. You and me and everyone else like us. Even though we don't love God the way that God asks us to love him fully, he loves us still. He loves us still, despite of it. He knows it. It's not a surprise to him. He knows who we are and what we're like, and where our affections are drawn to. And yet he still chooses to love us, pour out his mercy upon us. That's where we read this whole first two chapters of Ephesians. Again, it's him pouring out his love upon us, him adopting us into into his family, him lavishing us grace upon grace upon us. Not because we've loved him perfectly. We've loved him imperfectly. We've chosen to love many other things, but yet he still says he still has done this in our lives. He has still lavished his kindness and mercy upon us. And we think about that, that yet, God, I don't love you the way I should. But yet you still love me. That should do something on, my, on the inside of me. That should stir my heart towards God. That God, in your kindness, God, you give me what I don't deserve. And that is your love lavished upon me, given to me. Calls us a member of his own family, a member of his family. And if we're to understand the remainder of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, it talks about the responsibilities we have as believers, how we act towards one another as family, how we do life together. If a love for Almighty God is not connected to what we read in these next three chapters, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's just nice moralism. It's just tips on how to get along with no lasting power or effect. If this love of God, he says, look, I'm praying this for you because what I'm about to write needs to be connected back into this love of God. Everything that you read next from here on out, you've got to understand this is the foundation for all the stuff that you're about ready to read. Everything that you read, be kind to one another, forgive one another, speak well of one another. Why? It's got to be connected back into this love for God. And if we can read this, the next four chapters, the rest of our sermon series, if we can read these things and, and begin to consider these things in light of God's love towards us, that's not just rules, but a response to God for what he's already done for us, 
then we're going to see the supernatural work of God in us and through us to other people. Because that's what people see. They understand when we begin to talk about what God has done, how God has changed us, how we've been affected by God's love. It's not just rules. It's a response of worship to God that we do all these things. Brian Chappelle writes this. He says, Having spent the early chapters extolling the eternal love of God, the apostle next will turn to explaining the practical duties, obligations, and missions of those in the church. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to spend the next next probably two months talking about practical duties, obligations, mission of the church, just like the Paul laid out. But now those proper duties have their proper context. They are rooted and grounded in God's love. Obedience is a loving response to God's affection. Our righteous conduct and thoughts are a result of doing what the Spirit-filled heart loves to do because we are responding to how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love. It's just a response of worship to God. It's a response of love to God. When we talk about doing these things that we're going to talk about in the next two months, it's a response to what we've already seen God do to us and in us. And what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ? I'm going to read it, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. This is, this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we've loved God perfectly, not that we understood love and therefore responded to God somehow on our own. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a big word for Jesus Christ taking the wrath and punishment that we deserved, taking our sins upon His body so that we could be forgiven. And so when we think about how wide and how deep, how amazing is the love of God, it looks like a cross on Calvary. That's the depth of the love of Christ. The Savior laying down His life for ours. The Savior taking my place, my punishment, my sin upon His body so that I could be forgiven and cleansed and brought near to God. Paul's prayer is that we would know this incomprehensible love of Christ towards us and that this love would stir our affections because the things he's going to ask is going to be too much for us apart from Almighty God coming in and doing that in us. And everything we do as a church is pointed to this end. Guys, the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning point us back to Jesus. The sermons that you hear point us back to Jesus. The communion that we take, it points us back. It is a reminder to us of God's consistent reminder of God's love towards us. When we take communion, it's just not something we do because that's what we do at, at church on Sundays. or That's what other churches do. Guys, it is a reminder of Jesus Christ saying, come back to me again. Come back to me again. Come back to me again. I love you still.
I am here for you. And we're reminded his love for us. You might be sitting here today and as you, you evaluate your life, your commitments, your relationships, your hobbies, the way you spend your time and energy. And you see like, man, it's just not, it's discouraging because it's not lining up with what, what God would have for me. I think, is this ever going to work? Am I ever going to defeat sin by, with a superior love for Jesus? Apostle Paul turns to verses 20 and 21 and says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This word that Paul used to say who is able to, and the word that he uses for the power at work within us, this is the same word that's used to describe the almighty God creating the universe. This is almighty God who created the universe at work in our lives. He says it's not just some little power at work within you. This is the sovereign God at work in your lives to do these things and abundantly more than you could ask or imagine or dream or think. Much, much more than that. Man, it is beyond your comprehension what God can do. He says all this is not for our own selves, but for the glory of Jesus Christ in the church through all generations forever and ever. What we're going to do next is we're just going to pray with one another. I know if you're new here, you're like, wow, I'm not used to this. We're just going to take a couple of minutes and I want you just to turn to the person you're sitting next to and just pray with them. If there's areas of your life that you feel like, man, I have loved so many other things, not Jesus in my life, this is an appropriate time to respond and ask God to change your heart and to really take a moment to repent, to, to turn away from these things and say, Jesus, I want to turn to you fully. I want to know your love and I want your Holy Spirit to transform my life. I want to be motivated by your love, not just moralism, not just because it, that's what we should do, but because I am motivated by a love that I have received from you that motivates me to do these things. So we have an opportunity to repent, ask God to help us, and to turn us back to him again. And then Tim's going to come up at the end of that, we're going to take communion together and celebrate God's forgiveness of us and God's love towards us as his people. Amen. Let's do that now.